Sure, a commune Thanksgiving sounds easy, but in practice, like so many things involving other people, it's a mess. I guess I should have known once the first results of my online allergen pool started rolling in that pleasing everyone would be a Sisyphean task. In this case, just imagine an older fella in a turtleneck pushing a frozen turkey up a small incline. My doomed food Google Doodle, my Fadoomgle, was ultimately abandoned once Galinda found me crying and cradling my laptop in the soaking basin of the communal washroom slash kitchen. Taking my head in her large, soft hands, her oversized amethyst arm bangles clanking against one another, she suggested that we do a traditional potlatch. Well, that idea did make me feel a little better, but I'd be telling a half-truth at best if I didn't say I harbored some doubts as to whether Ennis wouldn't bring a foodstuff that he'd shaped to resemble a male member. His mashed potato phallus at the group meeting a few weeks back was certainly remarkable for its anatomical correctness, but a little too starchy for my taste. Sometimes it's best to let the potatoes rest with a cloth over them in the colander to get some of that out and make them easier to mash. My secret, a little cream cheese in the mix. The point being that counting on 15 strangers to each provide a Tupperware full of delicious dishes was itself starting to become a point of new stress and anxiety as I wondered if we could even call it Thanksgiving when there was no guarantee we'd have lumpy onion cranberry salad made with jello, shaved mushroom balls topped with conquered grape jelly, and Mam's chocolate oyster stuffing. I couldn't be sure any of the old Quaker favorites would be there, but I suppose this is a year for discovering new ways of doing things. Maybe we should realign how we think about all the holidays. Columbus Day? Don't need it. Valentine's Day seems like a lot. And Thanksgiving, well, you know, if ever there was a cosmic reckoning for the atrocities and illnesses that the colonists wrought upon the indigenous peoples of the Americas, well, the pandemic year of 2020 seems to be taking care of things. But perhaps we can explore new ways of gathering, of sharing, and of not getting bogged down in ulcer-producing stressful situations. Maybe let's take an hour and just sit with some of the things we've been wrestling with in our minds and process life's bounty together while the turkey burgers defrost and my ham loaf begins to set. We can do that by opening up the perfectly roast portal that leads us to the Deep Night. Deep Oh, friends, hello, and gobble, gobble. <laughs> no, I haven't been replaced by a talking bird. It's me, Del Seaver, and I'm so pleased to be your guru, guide, and eggnog-ready party host for this next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Now, one tradition that we are keeping alive this year, no matter what, is our annual Superfund urban foul trot along the Gowanee. 
Although cleanup of the canal has begun, it is still not hospitable to most life forms as we would recognize them. So, there aren't a lot of ducks and geese down there, but each year, Caldanzio <laughs> dresses as a, a pigeonish Canadian gooseish seagull. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell, and it depends on his mood, quite frankly. <laughs> and he leads a few of us fitness heads around the edge of the water in a gentle and happy jog. One uh, need be cautious not to slide in, of course, for fear of dissolving our soft tissue, so we take it slow and we all get a good laugh and enjoy a craft beer at the end of it. Nothing quenches the thirst like an electrolyte-packed sweet potato-flavored beer. A note on Cal. This fella is a hoot, uh, among the very finest Gowanus devotees I've ever met. Now, he's an older Italian gentleman who operates the drawbridge over the Gowanus, and I think he might live in the booth. Uh, I'm not sure. He once had me there uh, to show me some very racy calendars he had pinned up next to a photo spread from the August 1981 issue of TV Guide featuring the cast of It's a Living. I think Cal was tickled to find out that I, too, enjoyed the madcap adventures of a group of determined working-class waitresses making a go of it at above the top, and unremarkable but luxurious for the time in that it was fully carpeted, top-floor hotel restaurant. On that brisk afternoon in his small cubby, he also fondly recalled that he used to fish beer cans out of the Gowanus, the old kind with the metal keys when beer was packaged in something closer to military rations or sardines swimming in oil. He claimed that he actually started the first recycling program, <laughs> but then he laughed and said he just recycled the cans for other liquids, which I did not press him on, although I could see he had quite a display of antique and vintage cans up on a little shelf, and I dare not ask if they were full or not. Thinking back, I'm still not sure how well alcohol and drawbridging go together, but Cal's had the job for a long time, so I bet it's fine. <laughs> now, I should stop here and say that Cal's costumes of various birds that I mentioned are ones that he's made for himself out of old newspapers, spare drawbridge parts, and flotsam and jetsam picked up on his nightly walks around the Gowanus Verizon lot. In other words, they are terrible costumes. We, <laughs> we often have to just trust him that it's a bird, and we do, so it works out. Now, Cal offered to bring by a manicotti to the Thanksgiving dinner, but I'm a little worried that he cooks things by placing them in a hubcap, which he then puts in front of a portable kerosene heater. And as much as I enjoy infusing things with a light hint of kerosene, I suggested he could come by, of course, but maybe bring some of his famous beer, or maybe just a unopened seltzer. <laughs> You know, I might offer to buy him a hot plate for the holidays, but I don't want to intrude too much into his life or make it seem like I'm trying to change him. He once told me how much he hated the new syrups they were using to flavor coffee over at the gas station, and I can tell his threshold for change is uh, probably uh, quite low. And you know what? Maybe hubcap manicotti is good. I've eaten burgers cooked in hubcaps, and they weren't so bad. <laughs> oh, those were the days, my friends. I did ask Cal what he liked most about his job manning the drawbridge. He took a sip of gas station coffee and looked out over the scrapyard and the little bend in the canal that flows past the Brooklyn Sanitation Department, and he said, My thoughts. Sometimes I just enjoy being alone with my thoughts. And Angelian, quite a looker, and a darn good waitress. 
and after about ten minutes or so of standing quite near him as he looked out through the film of the window, I got the sense he was telling the truth, and that he also wanted to be left alone right there in that moment. <laughs> so I took my cue, and I waved goodbye, and I climbed down the narrow ladder that led up to his chamber up there in the clouds of exhaust and filth that swirled around him, small tornadoes of grime that formed by the cars and trucks on the BQE. I guess in a way he had managed to manifest his own above the top, and it was a living. You know, as I reflect back on my hours spent with Cal, I recall how many times this pandemic has led me down a mind path, just being alone with my thoughts, not being able to do much physically or go anywhere on a account of science and a paralyzing fear of catching a deadly disease with as yet unknown consequences for those who survive it, I've taken to letting my brain go on little walkabouts. (laughs) What starts out as a 20-minute meditation can turn into days, and before you know it, I've completely lost most of October and early November. See, I would sit in my sleep hammock or an old woven hemp chair and kind of get lost in the time that came before and Sometimes that makes me a little sad. Other times it brings a satisfying joy. Sometimes I start dreaming that I'm a superhero with an octopus for a cape. I guess more of a partnership, really. A collaborative clothing opportunity where I go on uh, little adventures and my octopus pal rides along and squirms into action if I need to get out of a tight spot or pick the winner of a soccer tournament. I actually stopped eating octopus at sushi restaurants, which is a big deal for me, because I like small amounts of rice topped with something that looks like the underside of a shower mat (laughs) that's just as rubbery. Because octopi are smart, and quite possibly from another planet, so if we're ever attacked by members of the octopus homeworld, I don't want to be glorped up by them and forced to work uh, on cleaning the suckers for the rest of my human (laughs) days. I just had a thought. Can you imagine an octopus dad up in the coral attic trying to uh, untangle the Christmas lights, standing there in front of a little box, and it's just a complete knot, and his uh, tentacles are also all knotted? That's a fun image. That's kind of a far side idea. (laughs) But if there's any cartoonist listening, you can have that one. It's great. (laughs) See what happens when when you let your brain just go loose. Fun things bounce in. Oh, octopuses are smart. Eating foods that make decisions, presumably decisions like I'd rather not be eaten, has made it so I'd rather respect their wishes. (laughs) So anyway, yes, I let the wandering happen, just like I'm doing right now. And the thoughts can happen in cycles. It can be triggered by anything, like a dream about being a superhero after watching some particular heroics on the television screen. I was watching the excellent program, not about heroics per se. (laughs) The television program's called The Crown. Uh, And I quite enjoyed it, even on my little phone under my gravity blanket with the volume kept low so as not to disturb Galinda's meditation classes, which she's taken to hosting on Zoom most evenings in the living room, which is also my bedroom. Even though I bought a head harness and a mouth guard to go with my breathe right strips, she seems to just prefer sleeping in her own room, whether I'm snoring or not, and that's fine. That is, uh, fine. But as I was watching The Crown, I thought, I want a president who rides horses. What happened to that? 
How impressive would that be for Biden to ride into his inauguration fully masked on horseback, just absolutely owning it on a black stallion, the reflection of the Capitol in his aviator glasses as he flashes that signature crooked smile, Kamala on a beautiful honey-colored steed with a braided mane, doing little gallops to the side to wave to young women who hope they one day can also wear Converse and put problematic decisions made as DA behind them. I mean, what happened to horses in this country? We were a country founded on horses. I bet most middle school kids today can't even make their own saddles, let alone competently lead a steed through a mountain pass. Now, I myself have been on a few horses, <laughs> most recently, as you may recall, in Iceland, on an Icelandic horse, not a pony. They do not like being called ponies, even though they are small. But they are frightening. Because they're very muscly, you understand. Real strong and close to the ground. Like my first serious girlfriend, now that I think about it. Oh, she was a wrestler. We certainly got down in the mud a few times. I hope she's doing okay. Last I heard, she had moved to a chicken farm near Petaluma. And just like relationships, I have been on bigger horses that were even more difficult to ride. And the fact is, again, just like in relationships... I'm scared most of the time. I mean, you could really get hurt on one of those things, and it looks so effortless, doesn't it? So elegant. But me on a horse is neither of those things. Nay, as the horse and I would both say, uh, nay, it can sense my fear and my absolute total loss of control, which is why if a head of state rolled in on a horse, I would be impressed. You figure lots of those early guys probably rode hither and thither making proclamations of one kind or another, leading little bands of ragtag soldiers into skirmishes along the Delaware. Now, I'm pretty sure I saw Truman on a horse and Johnson and Reagan. I feel like uh, Bush, uh, the uh, second one, made, made a lame attempt at clearing some brush on a horse. But I think we should make that a prerequisite for leadership. Trump would never and we could have, you know, avoided some real hardship there. But watching the crown, it did make me wonder if they let the old gal, the queen, up on the horses anymore. Or if she's like Cal, just surrounded by old TV guide, staring out the window, thinking about her life and the flow of polluted canals. In her case, of course, the polluted canals are the royal family, because, wow, they do not like people following their heart. And, of course, Prince Andrew, because yipes. We should all be roller-skating Dianas wearing terrier sweaters. One never knows what might prompt a thought or push one further into a state of deep grokking. For me, it was the sudden appearance of the name of a thing I had forgotten. For it is such an ordinary type of thing and said so commonly that to see it out of context provided a shock to the system. A sense that, wait a minute, this thing that I definitely said and indeed only ever knew something as such is now an alien and weird word that feels strange in the mouth, like rolling around a salamander on one's tongue, not altogether unpleasant, but it doesn't belong. The words that I'm talking about are sliding board. Does everyone know what I mean when I say that? I doubt it. And that's the weird thing about it, isn't it? It almost feels like a remnant of some other universe parallel to our own. But growing up in Pennsylvania, what most people would commonly call a slide, i.e. the kind one finds on the playground either rendered in hard plastic that fades in UV light or a reflective metal that sears your skin on hot days, that's what we called a sliding board. 
Now, credit to Allison Bennett and Paul F. Tompkins for getting into it about sliding boards on uh, Twitter. And uh, when I saw them talking about it, it was like a dam had burst in my skull, sending forth a flood of feelings about sliding boards. But more importantly, how specific something can be and yet be so positively uh, odd at the same time. I decided I needed to travel further into the cosmic hole of wonder about this. As we talked about on a previous episode this season, I power of ten this thing back through history, trying to understand the origin of the name and why it ended up that people in a particular place described something thusly, sliding board. Now, I had to assume that in the early days of Philadelphia's expansion, when playgrounds took root in urban areas as necessary places for children to get fresh air and exercise in the out-of-doors and practice things like posture and diction, that a young scout or buck from around the area would have climbed to the top of a ladder and, needing to get down, propped a board up against it and slid down. Now, perhaps this took place in an old pretzel factory or at a a scrapple plant using a plank or something. Now, although the old noggin is never too far off, I decided I'd call up the Internet on my portable telephony and see if I was right. And in this, much to Galinda's dismay... I was pretty close... (laughs) Contrary to the puff and pomp of the British company founded by Charles Wick Steed, who sounds like the kind of person who would falsely claim to have invented boards on an angle, the slide as we know it was not invented in 1922 in the UK, but rather was erected in Washington, D.C. in a little place called America. You're welcome. Now, a second slide made of bamboo, for some reason, was installed at Coney Island the following year. Now, those who came up with the idea first remains the source of some debate, and I'm sure that is a heated debate with very low stakes. In fact, it probably starts out very high and then gently slopes into nothing as the evening goes on. (laughs) Anyway... Soon, uh, they were everywhere and called all sorts of things, from helter-skelter to sliding pawn, uh, a New York variation on sliding upon, and uh, slide Kelly slide because of some ragtime uh, music someone uh, was playing, I gather. Now, in Philadelphia, the most famous and by all accounts earliest and most popular large piece of wood designed for children to slip downward on was the Ann Newman giant wooden slide built in 1905 as a new addition for the Smith Memorial Playground and Playhouse. The sprawling gardens and play zone and early vision of your bounce yous or Charles Entertainment cheeses opened in 1899 and uh, was uh, put there specifically as part of the American Playground Movement. (laughs) This movement began with child-saving reformers in the mid-1800s who recommended that children needed to get out, you see, (laughs) and do physical activity, you see, to better their minds and strengthen their moral character. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure how many morals were learned uh, (laughs) when Ricky Unker pushed my Star Wars figures into the sand, breaking off Luke's lightsaber and tearing Obi-Wan's brown plastic cloak. But that was years later, and by the 1980s, morals didn't matter. Uh, But uh, back then, in the early, early days, it was all the rage, raising fine young men and women to have the fortitude to stand up straight and 
Probably most of them had jobs they had to get back to, shoveling coal or uh, mending socks or making triangle-shaped shirts in a dangerously under-staircase factory. Uh, I think I have that history right. The most important thing to take away uh, from, from that diversion into Wikipedia was that I was correct. People in cities thought kids needed something to do, and they sent them outside, where they probably broke windows or stole wheels or pickpocketed women buying fish. And so someone said, hey, uh, why not give them a ladder? To which another person said, but then what? And another person came along with a board, no doubt hilariously swinging it one way and almost knocking somebody over the swing the other way to kind of correct and then doing the same. And uh, the kid on the ladder cried out, hey, you bring that board over here. It's Monday, and I want to see if I can scare that eagle on the wood. And the board uh, was held in place. The kid slid down the board, and the sliding board was forever a part of Philadelphia culture. Again, let's focus on the part that I was right about, because isn't that something? Facts can be feelings. So <laughs> maybe let go of the facts a little now and then. Let them loosen their grip over us and wonder aloud once more. If you're not sure what to think about, maybe think through some of your favorite pastimes, assuming one of them is not accumulating information about regional playground equipment and being accurate about history, and consider some of the things you've done these long, dark months of the pandemic. I've enjoyed letting my dishes soak overnight. I'm just so tired of dishes I could cry. When this is over, I'm either investing in paper plates or learning how to make ethnic pocket pastries I can eat with my hands. Which brings me to eating. Do we have to eat so much? I mean, three times a day. Really? Who designed that? Can we evolve past it? Another favorite thing to do for me is wear one pair of underwear per week. I think you can get the sense that maintenance is a problem uh, for me <laughs> when I don't have to go anywhere. Helping out with the commune stuff has kept me a little busy, but mostly it's all just so tedious. At least we had the election for a bit to keep things buzzing. But now what am I supposed to do? Think about the holidays? Galinda's friend Ellery has already started randomly sending us little talismans and objects she finds in the woods, which I hope are enchanted and not cursed, but with Ellery one never knows. It's like the worst version of an advent calendar, and now I have to clear a place on my shelf where I keep my old rum bottles and aura photos to make room for rocks tied with raffia and dried-out corn husks fashioned to look like Galinda and myself. She even made a little mud turtleneck fastened with a tiny almulet carved from what appears to be a rotten mushroom. Do you have friends from the woods? like nature people that you thought you knew but now have like six chickens and post Instagram photos of their goats roaming through their kitchens? What is their journey? Oh, I just remembered a great sliding memory. This one doesn't take place on a board, but just in case you're stuck inside with like one other person for, I don't know, nine, ten months, this could be an activity that's good for you. And it's not just uh, staring out the window or anything like that. It's a real activity. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't turn to playgrounds for moral character. <laughs> there were none to be found. We learned everything about right and wrong from the characters of animated programs on the television, which when I was younger still uh, was controlled with a clickety -click clacking dial that had a lot of space on it for channels that never existed. Three networks, PBS, and a couple of UHF channels, yet you had all the numbers on the dial, and often you had to spin through the, all of that real estate and hope that there were no clouds outside to get channel 17, 29, or 48, which I think later became 57. Now, I guess wealthy households had clickers, remote controls, uh, but not us.
Now, scrolling over to Channel 29, if memory serves, coincidentally, this would be during the uh, actual time period covered in the current season of The Crown, my attention was on the goings-on then of a different royal court, that of Castle Greyskull and the noble heroics of one very muscular young Prince Adam, who, along with his trusty royal helper man-at-arms, several years his senior and sporting a fine mustache but also full of muscles, and his domesticated tiger pet Cringer, who pretended to be scared all the time in a floating purple robe named Orko, who was kind of like a Roomba but less helpful, protected the kingdom from the forces of evil, specifically and only after charging his sword with magic energy and shouting an incantation, uh, he would transform into the exact same person, wearing less clothes. Prince Adam would become He-Man, and fight the evils of an absolutely ripped fella with blue skin, uh, wearing a harness-slash-hoodie combo, who called himself Skeletor, on account, I assume, of him having an exposed skull as a face. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> That's a, that's a lot. It's a lot. It prompts some questions, doesn't it? Did he have a skull uh, as a head? Maybe there was a skin condition. Was he, in fact, dead? What was the deal there? And were the muscles, did they just, were they magic muscles? Or is, they, uh, is there a gray skull gym, perhaps? And Frank Langella played Skeletor in the movie. What we need is an oral history of this stuff. Uh, and I'm sure it's out there. But wow, even just saying the things... Uh, just a fever dream of nonsense in this franchise. <laughs> How do things exist? Okay, so my friend Slogger and I would often hang out in his room after class. Now, I have lots to say about Slogger, whose name I've altered for the purposes of this podcast in case he doesn't want to be talked about. Who knows? But his real nickname is even funnier than Slogger, so sit with, <laughs> sit with that. Anyhow, I go to Slogger's house, grab a Weight Watchers ice cream fudgesicle from the freezer that was his mother's, and we'd play with his He-Man figures. Now, he had one giant Godzilla, too, with an arm that shot off. But that quickly became a game of, uh, you run there and get the hand and bring the hand back. <laughs> <laughs> to me, so you'd put the hand on, you'd fire it off down the hall. It's, it's a lot of maintenance, and as I said, never been keen for that. But Slogger did have uh, these extraordinary long hallways in his house, wooden floors, you know, a typical of old townhouses uh, of the area. And uh, look, He-Man is fun no matter what. You got to save the sorceress. Uh, maybe you have weird feelings about Evelyn, who's bad, but it's kind of sexy. Uh, but you're nine, so what's happening? Anyway, uh, Godzilla's hand was okay, but it also made a big thunk whenever it hit the wooden floor. And that was kind of getting to Slogger's mom, who uh, told us to stop making that noise. Now, what made less noise was sliding He-Man figures down the hall. And what made uh, the He-Man figure slide even better down the hall was an extra big glop of Nivea body lotion that Slogger had in his room. Now, w without treading on uncomfortable ice, uh, Slogger was and is black. And one of the things I know from spending a lot of time around him is that Slogger's elbows, just like mine now, uh, require lotion, which is why his mother kept a big Nivea squirt bottle in his room. Now, He-Man's elbows were not ashy, but if you rub that cream all over his very muscular plastic body, he sailed down that hallway. 
like children on a freshly waxed piece of wood at Smith's Memorial Wooden Sliding Board, just zipped along. And, of course, that meant that we needed to have a competition to see which He-Man could go A, the farthest, and B, the fastest. Needless to say, we had a lot of lotion on the floor of that hallway, and when Slogger's mom, curious to find out what the new quieter but still unusual sound was coming from, rounded the stairwell, she saw these thick tracks of Nivea lotion all along her hardwood floors. It was a quiet moment of recognition among all of us. Holding a uh, a gooped-up He-Man in one hand, the squirt bottle resting on its side behind us, so much lotion on the ground, little wet piles. But the overall sense was that she was not happy. <laughs> and even when I showed her how fast He-Man went down the hall, especially after that, actually. So we were tasked with cleaning up the mess and putting all the toys back where they came from. And I remember a pretty tense ride back to my house afterwards in the back seat of Slogger's mother's bright green Lacar. But my hands were very soft. So I don't know. Maybe you can grab some lotion and some plastic men and shoot them down a long hallway if you've reached that part of the pandemic, or if your Zoom Thanksgiving doesn't pan out the way you'd planned, or just let your mind wander down uncharted paths where you can be a hero be on horseback, or be the ruler of your own troubled kingdom, quietly seething to be apart from the things and people you really love. Well, for my part, I need to get back to potluck prep. There's squash to smash, corn to cream, and tofu to hide to make sure no one finds it. And wherever your heads are at this holiday season, I hope you're able to Make it through whatever period of anxiety that might come up for you and and hang in there. If it helps to get outside and build a little moral character, do a little of that. Trot or jog or slide and keep the mind-body connection active and take care of yourself. We're all going through a lot every single day. Now, with so many guests, I've not had the chance to just uh, tell you directly that, yeah, this year has sucked. And it's okay to be processing it however you are. If you have to go to urgent care for what feels like a burning fist in your intestine but turns out to be just a belly full of worry, well, that's okay. There's a global pandemic going on. But right now, try to feed yourself and your soul. Eat and be a little bit merry. Take time to recalibrate for a new year because it's almost, oh, it's almost here. And I can truly say without any doubt that although this night is over, a bright new day is just ahead. Thank you for listening and happiest of holiday wishes to you. If someone wants to make some scallop potatoes, we do have some room, and please just sign up on the sheet. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at DaleSeaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance. <laughs>